It's good to be in God's house on this Sunday, and it's been raining. I actually don't mind the rain. It gets a little cold, at least for us people here in Cairns, and um, I actually don't mind a little bit of the cold. Um, You know, I know a couple of our young people went down to youth camp, and it was like 11 degrees, I think, at some stage. That's cold. (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to continue on with our life class this morning that we started a few weeks back now. We're up to our third lesson this morning. And if you will recall, um, in the first lesson we spoke about the importance of being faithful. How we are to live our lives according to the pattern of God's Word so that others who are looking at our life can see a faithful pattern reproduced in our life And in doing so, have something that they can copy in their life as well. You know, you'll recall that the example we used was if I got a child to draw a pattern of a dress, draw a picture of a dress. If you were then to take that and try and cut out fabric and make a dress out of it, it would be very, very difficult because it's not precise. It's not exact. It doesn't have measurements. It's just a pretty picture, right? Our life as disciples of Jesus Christ, we can't just be a pretty picture. Yeah, we've got to follow the pattern of God's Word. We've got to draw lines on God's Word, you know, in our life, if that makes sense. What God calls good, we call good. What God calls evil, we call evil. We have to pattern our life after God's Word. That was the first week. And then last week, last Sunday, we talked about not being ashamed, amen, and we spoke about how as believers, we, we will suffer. We do suffer rejection. We do suffer ridicule. We do suffer shame. Amen. And we spoke about how Jesus was the same. You know, Jesus was rejected, the Bible tells us. He was despised. You know, he, he, he suffered the shame of the cross. And in doing so, he brought salvation to the world. Amen. And it was a real apt lesson for Easter. And so we talked about how in our lives, when we take up our cross, because that's what we are to do as disciples, we are going to suffer shame. People are going to reject you. People are going to try and bring you back down to their level and say, oh, you just... You know, you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? You're not important. You're not special. Amen. But we are called to just accept the fact that we are to walk this road that God has put us on. Amen. To take up our cross and despise the shame like Jesus did. In other words, just to count it as it's okay. You know, Paul said it another way. He said, my light affliction worketh a far exceeding weight of glory. In other words, Paul's mind was on eternity. He was saying, you know, I'm going to suffer shame down here. Because I won't suffer shame over there. Amen. And we have to choose where we suffer shame. Because somewhere it's going to happen, either down here or up there. You know, Jesus said, I think it's in the Gospel of Matthew, He said, if you deny me on earth, I will deny you before my Father. Right? So if we try to avoid shame down here, we will avoid shame down here. Amen. But then when we get to heaven and we say, oh no, Jesus, I lived for you. I cast out demons in your name. I did this in your name. I did mighty works in your name. He's going to say, I don't know you. He's going to deny us before the Father. That will be shameful. So much shame to say that we are one thing when Jesus says we're not. The alternative, which we spoke about last week, is we accept the shame down here. We accept the fact that people think we're a little bit crazy because we go to church like two times on a Sunday. Can I tell you, some people think your pastor's crazy. Right? I get to church at like quarter to nine in the morning, right? And I'm here until sort of 1.30, then I'm back again at three, and we're here till 7.30. I 
People think you're crazy. That's okay. I can put up with them thinking that about me because I know that my value comes from Jesus. Amen. And that's where we need to be. Right? We need to get our value from Jesus. Praise the Lord. So that was last week. We're going to continue on this week. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. We've been using scriptures from Timothy. Today we're going to be talking about the importance of studying God's Word and rightly dividing God's Word. Amen. So you can probably all guess from that what scripture I'm going to go to. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Say amen when you're there. And while you're all turning there, um, later on today we're going to hear from one of our young people who went to youth camp. And I'm looking forward to that. Amen. Praise the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. In the King James it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In the New King James it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Now let's just talk a little bit about this. First of all, Let's try and set a bit of a foundation up this morning. When a Jewish mother gave birth, according to the law of Moses, she was considered to be ritually unclean. This was not a state of moral impurity. She hadn't done anything wrong, but spiritually, it was a spiritual impurity. It separated the women from God's presence until it was fixed, until that, that impurity was taken away through a ritual. Amen. And everybody, you read through the book of Leviticus, all people at some stage or another, because they had so many different provisions. You know, you, you touch a dead body, you're unclean. You know, you are in a room with someone who's sick, you're unclean. You know, there was a whole range of different things that made you um, ritually or spiritually, if I could put it that way, impure, and you were not able to go before God. Amen. And, and you know, women, women had this as well when they would give birth, and they would have to perform a, a ritual or a ceremony to then be ceremonially clean, to be spiritually clean again, and be able to go into the presence of God in the tabernacle or, or in the temple later on. And, and, and 40 years, 40 years, 40 days, sorry, after a woman gave birth, the new mother would bring her baby to the temple and present her baby to the priests along with a sacrifice. This offering dedicated the baby to the Lord, particularly the firstborn, the firstborn son, sorry, dedicated the baby to the Lord and it would remove, the sacrifice would remove the mother's unclean status so that she could then participate in the spiritual life of the nation of Israel. Now that offering was ideally meant to be a lamb. But if the family was poor, they weren't wealthy because not everybody had enough money to go get a lamb, then they were able to take two turtle doves or two pigeons, two birds. It was a lot cheaper. And they could take the birds to the temple and offer that as a sacrifice instead. And then that would, that would accomplish the same thing. And 
to bring this all down to one person, 2,000 years ago, on a very special day for mankind, Mary and Joseph entered the temple, the Bible tells us, in Jerusalem. And uh, when they came in, they bought two little birds as well. And they bought a lamb too, a different kind of lamb, the Lamb of God, who had just been born, amen, 40 days prior. And prior to their coming, God had revealed to a devout man whose name was Simon that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. And on the day of Jesus' presentation at the temple, Simon's hope was realized. The Spirit directed him to the temple at the same time that Mary and Joseph arrived with baby Jesus. Luke records it. He says this in Luke chapter 2 and verse 28. Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now, I imagine that Mary and Joseph were quite amazed at that. Could you imagine if you brought your child to dedicate him to the Lord and then someone gives a prophecy like that? Whew. That'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? This was Jesus, right? And Simon had been waiting his whole life. And so Mary and Joseph were no doubt amazed by this. But not only did that happen, the Bible tells us that someone else came up. An elderly prophetess, her name was Anna. And she arrived on the scene and she was praising God as well. Simon was still holding the baby when Anna first saw Jesus. It goes on in Luke, a little bit further on in verse 38, Luke 2.38. It says, and she coming in that instant, she came at the exact same time, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. When Anna saw baby Jesus, she gave thanks to God, but her talk didn't stop there. She went around telling everybody, hey, the Messiah's here. The Savior is born. The Deliverer of Israel has come. She told everybody who would listen that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Amen. When they did this, their testimony fulfilled a Jewish tradition that two or three witnesses were required to establish the validity of a claim. Both Simon and Anna knew, however, what to look for. And that is the point. Do you think it was coincidence that Simon and Anna just happened to be at the temple at the exact same time that Mary and Joseph arrived with Jesus. No, it wasn't. Simon and Anna knew what to look for because they were faithful students of the Word of God. It's possible to be in the middle of a prophetic event and not know it. But when we know God's Word, when we study God's Word, we know what to look for. And faithfulness to God and faithfulness to His Word aligned both Simon and Anna with the Lord's prophetic plan and then personally engaged them in its fulfillment. There were many, many, many other people in Jerusalem that day. There were many, many other people in the temple courtyards. But only Simon and Anna were truly aware of what was being fulfilled what prophecy was coming to pass, amen? It was because of their familiarity with Scripture, with the prophecies in the Old Testament, that they knew the Messiah was coming and they were looking for Him. 
Amen. Because they were people who had spent their whole lives studying God's word, dedicated to the Lord, they knew the Messiah is coming. And God, particularly Simon, God gave him a word and said, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And so day after day after day, when Simon would go to the temple, he would be waiting to see, is the Messiah here yet? And then when he saw Jesus, he knew. Why? Because he was a faithful student of God's word. Amen. God has always been a God of order. From before the moment he laid the foundation of the world, he had a plan. He already knew everything. It was ordered and it was orderly. And from the very beginning, his plan was Jesus. Peter told the believers in the New Testament church that they had been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Amen. So before Jesus ever came to earth, before God ever created the world, he already had a plan. He knew that he was going to have to come and save his people. Amen. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the world. The Greek word for world is cosmos. And that's a word that we're quite familiar with. It's in English as well, in cosmos. And its basic meaning is order or arrangement. The word is used in different ways in scripture. It can refer to the universe. And it often refers to a specific part of the universe, the earth, that was created in perfect harmonious order by the word and the will of God. Amen. John 1, 1 to 5 teaches us that. Today, we often use the word cosmos to mean all of creation, but the New Testament writers associated it with perfect order or an ordered system, or in other words, everything that God created was perfect. It was set up perfectly in order. Amen. And you don't have to really be much of a scientist to even see that. You know, you look at, um, I remember um, Jonathan's poppy taught Jonathan a, a Bible lesson on Fibonacci numbers. Amen. And he, he was, knows much more about it than I do. Next time you see Brother Gratian, ask him to explain Fibonacci numbers to you. But there is patterns that repeat. And they repeat in perfect order all through nature, in the petals of flowers, in, in leaves, all these things. They are perfect mathematical replications over and over and over again. Why? Because God created it that way. He created an order, amen. And so when God sets in place, or what God sets in place, sorry, he keeps it in place. God is not fickle. He does not change his mind. He's not changeable. He's not going to make things one way one day and then make things another day. But he is the same, the Bible tells us, yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change his mind about his purpose. He does not change his mind about his plans. He doesn't change his mind about the end game, where the world is eventually going to end up. To do so would bring confusion. Can you imagine for a second if how we got saved changed every six months? How difficult would that be? Well, this month, I don't know. Let me, let me, I haven't heard from God for this month. I don't know. No, it's the same. You've got to do the same thing. It's been the same since the book of Acts. Amen. And so God does not change because if he would, it would be confusion. It would bring confusion. And Paul told us, he said, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. That's in 1 Corinthians 14, 
verse 33. Peace implies order and harmony. And in this particular letter that um, Paul was writing, he was discussing the usage of the spiritual gifts in the church, amen. And, and Simon and Anna, they lived in a time before Jesus was crucified, before he was glorified. So they weren't, they didn't have the Holy Spirit like what we have down here at the moment, amen. But, but at the same time, the principle had been established already right from the beginning. God is a God of order. God is a God of a plan, and it does not change, amen. And so by His Spirit, the Lord moved Simon and Anna into agreement with His Word. Now, that actually gives me a great deal of comfort to know that God can have His plan and His will, and He will move me into His will. But we've got to be willing. He's not going to do it against your will, right? But he, will, he moved Simon and Anna into his will. Why? Because they were students of God's word, amen? And, and this does reveal an important principle. Because Simon and Anna didn't get some new revelation from God. But they were moved into alignment with what God had already said in the Old Testament through the prophets, and it's the same thing today. When we have a prompting of the Spirit in our hearts, when we feel like God is giving us a word, it must line up with God's word. God will not give you a word that does not line up with what He has already said in His word. Amen? Because if you start getting things from God that are not in God's word, well, you've got a problem. Because God will never give you something that is not able to be found in His word as well. Amen? God does not work like that. Why? Because God is a God of order. It's not going to change. Amen? When Simon saw Jesus, he knew without any outward indication that he was the Messiah. Why? Because he knew God's word and he knew God's voice. And when God gave him the word, he was able to align it with what he knew in the Old Testament. And because he knew the Old Testament, he was a student of God's Word. He had studied God's Word. He knew that the Word that he just got from God, that's the Messiah, he was able to compare it to what he knew in the Old Testament. And in that instant, he knew, I've heard from God. There wasn't any visible outward appearance. Mary and Joseph didn't walk into the temple and go, Yo, y'all, we've got the Lamb of God right here. Amen? There wasn't any trumpet blast. Jesus didn't come in on a chariot. As a matter of fact, like, the, like I said right at the beginning, Mary and Joseph came in with two pairs of doves. They weren't even rich enough to afford the lamb. They brought in like the secondary sacrifice, the one that the poor people had to bring. But yet because Simon knew God's word, because he was a student of God's word, when God spoke, he compared it to what he knew of the Old Testament scriptures, and he knew, I've heard from God. That's the Messiah. That's the Lamb of God. Amen. You see, and the good thing about this is because we know God is the God of order and because we know He's not going to cause confusion, when we hear God speaking to us, when we feel an impression in our spirit from the Holy Spirit, we know we can check it against God's Word and it's not going to change. Amen? And so that gives us a confidence in the Lord. Amen? Now let's talk about Anna. The Bible calls her a prophetess, so she was well acquainted with the Word as well. 
She knew the Old Testament scriptures. She knew what the Bible said. Now, scripture's not clear on her age. It says that she was either 84 years old, depending on how you read it. Maybe it's one of those questions we'll ask Luke when we get up to heaven, or maybe we'll ask Anna. She was either 84 years old, or she had been a widow for 84 years. Whatever her time of life, we know that she dedicated her life to prayer and to fasting. She dedicated decades of her life to prayer and to fasting. In fact, the Bible tells us that she was constantly in the temple day and night. This doesn't mean that she never left the temple, amen, but it does mean that being in God's house and being in prayer and living for God absolutely consumed her. That's what Luke is trying to say here. He's saying she was just completely taken over by living for God. She'd been a widow for decades and decades and decades. She wasn't interested in remarrying. She wasn't interested in everything else, but her life revolved around worship to Yahweh. That's what she did. She worshiped God. That was her thing. You know, if, if you could look at her gravestone, it would say, here lies Anna. She lived for God. That's all really anyone could ever say about her almost. That's all Bible records of her, amen? It was the focus of her life. She gave all of her energy in prayer and serving God. Now, if you or I spent 60 or 70 or even 80 years in church night and day in prayer and hearing the Word of God like Anna did, we would be keen to know when God moves, amen? Anna saw a baby with her eyes, but she saw more in her spirit. And like Simon, she had spiritual awareness and saw something that others did not. And this is why it's so important to be a student of God's Word. Because Anna was the same as Simon. She had spent decades reading God's Word. She had spent decades in prayer, decades fasting, decades worshiping God. She was so close to God. And when she saw Jesus... She was sensitive. She heard the voice. She did the same as Simon, compared it to what she knew of God's word, and she knew that's the Lamb of God. And she told everybody she could. Amen. So the scripture we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul writes to Timothy, and he affirms to him the importance of not just reading, but studying the word of God. Amen. Like I said, in the New King, in the King James, it says, study to show thyself approved to God. Why? So that we can rightly divide the word of truth. Brothers and sisters, it is our responsibility to search the scriptures and rightly divide them so we know how to rightly live. Amen. Amen. That's our responsibility. Nobody can do it for you, amen. This is why a Bible reading at home is so important. Spending time in God's Word at home. So important, amen? Amen. But here's the other thing. First, let's consider this. We're not studying to show ourselves approved unto men, right? It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. The reason that we study God's Word, the reason that we love God's Word, the reason that we make this Christian life our priority is because we want to be approved to God. It gives you an idea of where your focus is meant to be at, who you are trying to please, who you're trying to lift up, amen. We're not wanting to exalt others. We're not wanting to exalt ourselves, but we are diligent to present ourselves approved 
to God. Amen. That is the point. That is why we do what we do. Our study is not to impress people with our knowledge. We don't want to impress people because we're super spiritual. We don't want to impress people because we go to church every day of the week. Praise the Lord. Just seeing a lot of distracted people looking out the door. Amen. Our study, our dedication, our devotion to God's word is to reveal our commitment to God and to reveal our commitment to His righteous ways. Amen. The other thing which is interesting, Paul Paul writes to Timothy, he says, be diligent. To present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Right? This is work. This is work. We are workmen. Amen? We are to work at studying the Scriptures. We are to work at learning the Scriptures. We are to work at being a Christian. We are to work at living for God. Amen. It is work and it is included in our job description. Amen. The word workman in, in, in the Greek can also mean a laborer. A laborer without job descriptions do not know what is required or expected to complete our duties. What we need is a job description and a word from the master who says, this is what I want you to do. Amen. God has given us the word. He has given us instructions for life. It is our duty as his workmen to study this book, to apply it to our life so we know how to live, so we know how to be faithful to the truth, so we know how to stand for God. Amen. The third point in this, first thing I said was we are to study to show ourselves approved to God. The second thing I said is that we are workmen. We are to work. Amen. The third thing is the concept of shame. And again, we've been talking a little bit about this over the last few days. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Interesting. Here's the thing. If we do not know the word, first of all, if we do not know the word and we don't know what it really means, the first of all, we will find ourselves ashamed. We will find ourselves ashamed. We cannot live the truth if we don't know the truth. Amen? You cannot live for God if you don't know what God expects of you. And the only way you know what God expects of you is if you study His Word, if you read His Word. Amen? And if we don't, if we don't, we won't know truth. And where the shame comes in as well is that then we can begin to teach untruth to people sincerely believing that we've heard from God. That's shameful. When we compound shame upon shame, why? Because it's because of our negligence. We haven't studied God's Word. We don't understand it properly. Amen? And, and, and it doesn't matter, even if it's offered with good intentions, it causes shame because false teaching can cause others to walk down the wrong path. Amen. That's why it's so important as a disciple that our life is built on God's Word, that we know God's Word, we understand God's Word, and everything we say, everything we do, before we teach others, we've checked it on God's Word. And we know what God's Word says, and our life is lined up. Amen? Amen. 
Finally, when disciples and when teachers diligently study the word, we draw lines where God draws lines. I alluded to this earlier. And we mark what God says is good, we say is good. And what God says is evil, we say is evil. And when we do that, there is no need or there is no cause for shame. When we comprehend God's ways, we will not shame ourselves, nor will we be blamed to cause by causing others to follow scriptures that we did not rightfully divide. Amen? That's scary in a way, isn't it? It's important to be students of God's Word. Amen? And see, this doesn't just affect the lives of people you meet. This affects your life as well. Because you don't know what you don't know. But unless you study God's Word, and when you study God's Word, you know how to order your life. But you've got to make sure you're interpreting it correctly as well. And that comes by studying and studying and learning. I had this experience just on Sunday night. You know, Sunday night, I, for those of you who were here last Sunday night, I said to you, I said, I'm going to preach from this scripture here, and I learned something new in my study. Amen. And I learned that I haven't really been interpreting that correctly. So I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to teach this. This is what it's meant to be. Amen. Not that the principle I was teaching previously was wrong. Amen. But when we hold up what we are teaching to God's word, it's God's word that's correct, not us. And we have to line up with God's word. Amen. Now, how are we doing for time? 10.33. Okay. Let's move on. Here's something else important. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. He went on in verse 16. He said, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Did you know that it is possible to engage in irrelevant babble with other Christians and with each other, even when discussing Scripture? And Paul is writing, he says, it's wise to avoid all empty talk and babbling, but especially when the topic of discussion is God's word. And Paul tells us why. He says, those who participate in these types of conversations will increase unto more ungodliness. When we start slinging things around from God's word with no consideration for the other person, we start to hurt them. We start to impact them. And these things get into people's hearts and they hold on to them. And then they argue back. And then it gets into our hearts and it begins to grow. And we can do that with God's word, is what Paul is saying. He's saying, avoid that. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Amen? You know, he goes on, he says in verse 17, And their word will eat as does a canker. He's saying that word gets into your heart like a canker worm. It just starts to, to eat up, eat up, eat up. Amen? And then he gives an example. Hymaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth, verse 18, have erred, saying the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. These guys were going around the church and they were saying, ah, we've missed the resurrection. It's already come and gone. We missed it. So we just have to do the best we can. And people were going, oh, well, I guess there's no point living for God now. They were using Scripture and misinterpreting Scripture to convince people that they'd missed it. That's bad, isn't it? And that's what Paul is warning about. Amen? But when we know God's Word, when we understand God's Word, when we have a good relationship with it, and we have worked to be diligent 
to present ourselves approved to God, amen, then we have no need to fear because the foundation of God stands sure. In his first letter, Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 6 and verse 20 of 1 Timothy. He says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to your trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. You can almost hear the passion in Paul's voice when he says, O Timothy. Paul had been around the block long enough to know that when you listen to empty, vain, pretentious conversations, it causes problems. It causes issues, however. But he knew that Timothy had learned God's word as a young man from his, from his mother and from his grandmother, and he was equipped to rightly divide the word. Amen. And this stands in high contrast to the false teachers who constantly argued over words. Timothy had a good foundation in God's word. We have to be the same. We have to study God's word. We have to read God's word. We have to make sure we know what God's word says concerning our life. Here's why. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. Paul writes this. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away the ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Paul used a distinct visual here in this scripture. He said they're going to have itching ears. He was talking about people who only want to hear what made them feel good, amen? And when we don't know God's word and we don't know what God's word says, we run the risk when someone questions us and we don't know the Bible, we give them the wrong answer because we want them to feel good because that's what people are after. Hello? It's true. Amen? And when we don't know what God's Word says, we run the risk of falling into that. Because that's what the world wants. And that atmosphere creeps into the church as well. Amen? And people are saying, I just want to hear what's good for me. Just tell me good things, pastor. Tell me good things, preacher. I'm not interested in all the bad stuff. I'm not interested in things I've got to get fixed up. But if we know that God is concerned about something, as a church, we have a responsibility to teach people about it, whether they like it or not. It's not our job to choose whether people like it. It's our job to teach it and preach it. Amen. But how can we teach it and preach it unless as disciple makers, we have studied God's word for ourselves. We know what God's word says. Amen. Amen. Someone once said that people want massages, not messages. They prefer to be pleasantly stimulated and educated and entertained rather than edified. If you could sum up the attitude, it almost seems like people are looking for some new idea that feeds their interest and gives them permission to decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong. And that is, the, that is the, the doctrine that's in the world, relativism. What's right for me is right for me. What's right for you is right for you. You know, and we can both be right. There's two truths. There's three truths. There's no absolute truth. It doesn't really matter, amen. 
But when we study God's word, we understand that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man comes unto the Father but by me. Amen. And so when someone says, well, that's good for you, but I've got my own truth. No, you don't. You're wrong. Hello? If your life is not lined up with God's word, you're wrong. You're in sin. You're not going to make it. You're not saved. I'm sorry. Right? Now, obviously, you would want to say that with a little bit more love, Brother Stan. Amen? But that's the point. And when we don't know God's word, we don't know what we're talking about. And we are called to be disciples. We are called to be workmen who can rightly divide the word of truth. Amen? That's why we need to know God's word. Knowing is noble. And the believers, believers should give time to study the Word of God, we should put in our best efforts. In Acts chapter 17, Luke records a time when the believers in Thessalonica sent Paul and Silas away for their protection and the two apostles, they went to the city of Berea. And the believers there, those who followed the same doctrine of the new birth that were in Thessalonica, the Bible says that they were more noble than those that Paul and was it Paul and Silas? Paul and Silas had left in the last city. What was the determining factor? What was it that made the Bereans more noble than the Thessalonians? It says this, in Acts chapter 17, they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul and Silas told them was true. Amen. Knowing the word prepared the Bereans to receive God's revelation amen and in our day knowing god's word connects us to the timeless wisdom of god amen romans 15 4 says this for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written why for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope when you know god's word when you have studied god's word when you have invested hours of your life into reading and learning and questioning God's word and asking questions of it amen it brings us comfort it brings us hope amen and in the middle of life situations God's word will always have an answer amen but if you haven't read God's word you're not going to know the answer and so you can't be comforted by it amen but there is times in my life, and I'm sure there's been times in your life, where you've been struggling with something, and you've gone to God's Word, and there's been something that has just strengthened you, and gone, okay, I'm going to keep going. I've got another day in me now. I've read something in God's Word. But you knew where to find it. You went searching for it, because you knew it was in God's Word somewhere. It makes us noble. It brings us comfort and hope. Amen. Knowing the Word of God also leads us into deeper truths. They bring greater liberty and holiness. John 8 verse 32, it says this, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. We are sanctified. We are made holy by the word of truth. And that happens after constant exposure, after study, after repetition. Amen. Isaiah wrote this. He said, Precept must be upon Precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, amen. We have to be diligent to study God's word, to present ourselves approved to God, amen. As we all stand this morning, conditions in Israel 
at the time of Jesus' birth was bleak. The nation was occupied by Rome, and it was being ruled by a cruel king. Judaism had, for the most part, been reduced to just an externalized religion. This is why when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, he said in multiple occasions, he, he, he criticized them. He said, you've got everything right on the outside. You can all stand. You've got everything right on the outside. <laughs> but on the inside, you're a mess. Amen? On the inside, you're a mess. Why? Because Judaism was largely an external religion. But God always had a remnant. He always had somebody in the nation of Israel who were living for God, who were paying attention to what God was doing. Amen. And Simon and Anna were one of those. They were dedicated to God's word and they wanted to hear God's voice and they studied and they learned and they were diligent. Amen. And we need to be the same. I want to be a part of that faithful remnant. I want to be the part of the group of people who build my life on God's Word and God's Word alone. Amen. I want everything in my life to be able to go through the filter of God's Word and get a check of approval from the Word of God. Amen. It's got to be that way. Because there will be plenty of, plenty of, plenty of people in this world. And when that trumpet sounds and the church is taken away and judgment day comes, there will be plenty of people who say, Oh no, I'm a Christian. I live for God. I go to church on Sunday. I dance in time to the music and I do everything right. And Jesus turns around and says, I don't know you. That comes because we don't know God's word. That's why. You can do miracles. You can get words from God. You can have dreams and visions. You can do all sorts of wonderful, amazing things in the name of Jesus. But if your life isn't built on God's word, it doesn't count for anything. God's Word is the yardstick by which we must measure our life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's leave it there. Let's close our eyes. Let's just talk to the Lord this morning. Hallelujah, precious Jesus. We thank you for this day, Lord God. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. Lord, your word is life, Lord. Your word is hope, Lord God. Your word comforts our soul, Lord Jesus. Your word is full of good things for us to do with our life, Lord God. And it teaches us how to order our life and how to instruct our life, Lord God. And how to build our life, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that we have it, Jesus. Father, help us to be faithful to your word. Help us to be faithful to studying your word, Lord, too applying your word in our life, Lord God, to living our life in accordance with your word, Lord God. Help us to be diligent, to present ourselves approved to you, Lord God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, Lord God. Father, we want to rightly divide the word of truth, Lord God, Lord, so that we can stand on it, Lord, confident in these last days, knowing, Lord, that our life is correct in your eyes, Lord Jesus, because of your cross, because of your blood, Lord, and because, Lord, we can stand on your word, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, and we exalt you in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Praise the Lord. God bless you.
Let's turn around, shake hands with one another. And let's get ready to have our worship service. Praise the Lord.